APU. American Public University is proud to present the following podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Innovations in the Workplace. I'm your host, Wanda Curley. Today, we are going to be chatting about the history of artificial intelligence. My guest today is Dr. Oliver Hedgepath, who is a professor at American Public University. He has many years of experience working with artificial intelligence. Oliver, welcome to Innovations in the Workplace, and thank you for joining me. My pleasure, Wanda, and thanks for setting up this podcast on this emerging and re-emerging concept. It's an older concept, but uh, it is changing names and looking forward to having this discussion on how it's changing. You have vast experience in AI. Most people call artificial intelligence AI because artificial intelligence is a mouthful. When did you first become acquainted with AI and where? Well, when I first became acquainted with AI, we didn't call it that. We called it machine intelligence or smart machines. And that was 1967. I was working with the Defense Intelligence Agency, then later with the Department of Defense. And during that time frame of the 1960s and 70s, I was uh, hired by the government as a mathematician and then immediately sent to a place called IBM, which taught me every computer programming language they had available at the time. I was part of a team that learned to program in alcohol and assembler and every kind of weird language to understand how to develop software that would take millions of pieces of data and turn it into decision points for humans to make decisions on. Our problem with AI was back then was what we call AI now, was we wanted to manage data that was so large and, and getting so much larger around the world and how to make sense of it. We thought computers could crunch it all together. We thought AI, what we call AI now, was just going to be nothing but number crunching and number crunching. And it stayed that way for about 10 years or so. And then later, probably in the 70s, people started saying, well, maybe we could put human rules in computer software. And instead of just adding all these billions of pieces of numbers together to find out what's going on in the world, what the enemy is doing, and I was working with Defense Department, what the enemy is up to and projecting what might be the next battle or conflict or innovation. But human rules, how humans think about all this data. And they started adding human behavior aspects to it back in the 70s and 80s. And I was working on it at that time. In about 1985, I became the director of the first artificial intelligence center for Army Logistics, a General Max Thurman, I'll speak about him later, developed seven AI centers. He was funded by Secretary of Defense to develop software, and I was developing AI software for logistics applications. It was along the same lines, you know, in terms of how to use lots of data and lots of human rules on how to do things, how to manage data that would usually take people, 20 or 30 people in a room for 20 or 30 days to analyze what's going on in a complex situation, a crisis that's evolving, such as you see in the White House happening today, all these crises around the world. What do you do? And they wanted to have rules in computers to help us think about the next step to take. That's how I involved and got involved in it since the 1990s and 2000. I've been involved in AI in terms of research because I'm a research scientist and writing papers on AI and trying to find out what's going on with AI and robotics and where it might be going in the future. That's kind of how I got started. 
Well, that was quite interesting, uh, Oliver. Let me ask you this. You talk about programming human behavior. We all know that each person has different human behavior. So what behavior do you try to put into a computer so that they act like a human as much as possible? <laughs> well, that's a nice question. Um, the human behavior aspects that we want to put in uh, computers, or let's say AI or robotic systems, which uh, today are merging together. You're not sure which is which, but you want questions that are answered by pure data, accurate data in terms of projecting where you want to go next. For example, again, if you have a crisis happening, you want to be able to make sure you make a, an observation with the data you've got. Maybe it's half data, or partial data, as best you can. And AI software is really good at handling data that's kind of uh, fuzzy data, whereas mathematical models need exact data. They don't use fuzzy data. And so that's important. But some of the decisions we make cross ethical boundaries as well. And we have to be careful about the ethical boundaries, uh, putting rules in so that we don't have a system that makes a recommendation or a decision that could hurt a human. We don't want any AI system to hurt a human. We want them to help humans. And that's that's one of the key things about the rules we put into it. We don't want them to hurt people. That's interesting because we could have a whole podcast on ethics and AI, but let's shift a little bit. I know AI has many names. How many names are you aware of and why do you think AI has so many names? Well, AI, like I, like I mentioned, has been around for a long time. First entry or birth of AI, I guess, was the invention of the electronic computer back during World War II, 1941. And it was hoped to be used you know, to help in that war uh, that was raging for about four years. And then about 1949, after the war, computer programs were invented, like I mentioned earlier in my time in the 60s, to store instructions for repetitive operations, you know, calculating, again, large quantities of data. And then in the 60s, like I mentioned, there was a company, an organization, the Advanced Research Projects Organization, that got a big handle on it, the ARPA. And they started, DARPA and ARPA, and they started really looking at how to use these computers and the first applications uh, had many different rules. They called them, there are hundreds of different names. A lot of the names were for the application itself, what it was trying to do, whether it's giving advice on attacking something or giving advice on how to grow something. But there are hundreds of different names that can be used from a bank, manage investments, or the stock market, for example, to invest in. And how to identify a problem with the Army helicopter. I know about that. Uh, so you've got things along those lines. You know, you still call them, you know, AI machines. There are such a names as you'll you'll see that. And there's visual AI and giving vision uh, help to impaired people. But the names are going to continue to evolve. And there are many applications of all these names. And you'll have names that will be called like a voice assistant or natural language processing, text you know, recognition, drones, these drones. You know, AI is part of the drones that are working out there. It's still their intelligent machines. And so it's going to be fun to see uh, what names are out there. One name that's just come to light in the newspaper I read last week was Flippy. F-L-I-P-P-Y. Flippy makes hamburgers at the White Castle. Oh, amazing. <laughs> they make hamburgers at White Castle, and the company that makes Flippy, this little robot, is also going to make them and install them at several universities because students late at night need a hamburger or french fries. 
And people at White Castle at 2 in the morning might need a hamburger or french fries, and Flippy's going to be making it. The human may lose his job, or he may not. He may be cleaning uh, the seats and everything because of this pandemic. A lot of names. So you talked about robots such as Flippy. Are there any other robots that you think are using artificial intelligence out in the world? Yeah. Oh, goodness. There are robots that are driving cars, for example. There are robots that are driving cars. They're driving 18-wheelers. I know there's three 18-wheelers out there. I saw research on it that are, are driving across the country, big 18-wheeler rigs. Now, there's a human inside, and there's no robot behind the wheel. The wheel is there, like somebody could drive it, and the human's sitting there. But the robot is a piece of machine intelligence, and it's working to solve that. The other robotic systems are in schools. Japan is using robot teachers for the K-12, to I think the first, second, third, fourth grades. The kids that are first, second, third, fourth grades, fifth grades, they really like the robot. Now, the human teacher is there also saying, here's what you got to do. Here's your letters. You got to do this math. You got to do these coloring. But the robot is there to do assistance, co-worker with that human teacher, and the kids really like it. There are robots entering nursing homes. You've got elderly people who are alone, and a lot of people in nursing homes are alone. I've, I've dealt with some people in nursing homes. There with a lot of people, but they're really kind of lonely. And a little robot, about you know three foot tall, forget his name, walks around, and you can hold his hand. And I can see a woman or a man holding his hand, and, and the robot is sitting down on the couch with you, and you can talk to the robot about, how's the weather today? And the robot will say, well, the weather's nice today. How do you feel today? And the human to just talk on and on and on and have a wonderful, wonderful time. So there are a lot of helpful robots that are out there, as well as the ones that will be doing applications. There's also a robot that's, uh, I read recently, landing airplanes. Yes. Uh, now, airplanes aren't being landed by robot systems or machine intelligence right now, but they are built and they're in experimental stage right now. So next time you go flying, human still will land it, but... There's a lot of smart software, AI software, machine intelligence in the operation of that plane. And they will be landing by themselves perfectly, we hope, possibly in the future. It's a question of you. Would you be careful? Would you like to be landing, landing, in, <laughs> landing in an airplane, landed by a robot? Uh, that is interesting. I know when I was stationed in Patuxent River, when I was in the Navy, they were actually testing fighter jets landing with software. The pilot was in there, but he was told not to touch the uh, controls. Some of those pilots were my friends and it, they just had a very hard time with that. So I can imagine what these commercial pilots are feeling. I was doing some research on AI before this podcast, and there are some that say actually AI started back when aliens came to earth, uh, you know, when the Egyptians were here. And so in your opinion, I don't buy that, but in your opinion, when do you think AI really started and why? Oh, my goodness. AI, it depends on your, your definition of AI, I guess. And if it's a machine of some kind that's calculating numbers, for example, and a lot of us just calculating numbers, making a decision. You go back to Babbage's machine, which was an idea of how to calculate numbers and uh as a calculating machine. 
that's kind of an early start, but the concept of science fiction, I call it the science fiction. I've heard that story before. The science fiction stories back in the 50s were really great with robots and aliens coming down. And that's when I first was introduced to Robbie the Robot, a 1956 movie that was out about uh, Forbidden Planet, I think it was. And actually, I've got a picture of myself standing next to Robbie because I was at a place called Alien Technology in California. Alien Technology was a place that was developing radio frequency identification tags for tracking boxes of stuff, replacing barcodes. But the early Egyptians, yeah, I've read those stories. I've seen the uh, movies of people analyzing the hieroglyphics to say these had to be from outer space and, and also looking at you know, pyramids and different designs on the, on the planet's surface that says you can only see that from outer space and it should be a signal to somebody from outer space. I wouldn't call it artificial intelligence. I'm sure AI and smart software, if the people were outer space, it's just smart software. It's like the software we're using now when we, we type. You know, your Microsoft Word document is an AI piece of software. That's why you get recommendations for changing the words you're typing or changing the format somehow. The software wants to help you. That's a personal story, and that's, it's kind of fun to talk about, but I think my version of AI that really makes sense uh, starting in the 40s. But you can go back to 1800s or 1900s with the Luddites. They call them the Luddites, the Captain Luddite, I think, and uh, Colonel Luddite. The Luddite is a military who was really against weaving machines, you know, taking women's jobs away from them. The machines manufacturing garments that could be done by a machine faster than women who did it in those days by hand. And so they destroyed all the machines. So any kind of mechanical device is similar to what we're calling AI and robotics. It's really all related together. Interesting, interesting. So you've talked about robots. You've talked a little bit about how we're going with AI and how it's in schools in Japan. I, I foresee it coming to schools here in the United States because of COVID, but we'll see. But how do you see AI evolving in the future? Well, it's interesting. Whatever AI, AI slash robotics slash machine intelligence, whatever we call it, it's going to evolve for our human needs. The humans are asking for things. Not that we're lazy. We just want help in doing things. But let me go back. All of these AI robotic systems also have to follow, I'll call it the three laws of robotics. You remember Isaac Asimov mm -hmm. wrote about the three laws of robotics, 1942, when the first AI smart machines were being involved. And he said, the first law is a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. So whatever we're developing in the future that's going to be used around your house, maybe that's a, a vacuum cleaner, it can't hurt a robot vacuum cleaner, or maybe it's Amazon and their prime robot along the roadway, you know, driving to your house and getting out and coming to your door, dropping a package off. It can't hurt you, so it can't run over you. And the second law, a robot must obey the orders given it by humans, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. So if you tell a robot, stop, it's going to stop. It better stop. If you say, shut up, it's going to shut up if it's talking to you. And we have those robots in the house. If you have one of those little systems that you say, Siri, play this music for me. Or Siri, how do I get to McDonald's down the road? And it gives you the instructions. That's a robot AI system. And then the third law, 
a robot must protect its own existence as long as it doesn't interfere with the first and second law. So the robot's going to try to save itself. You know, somebody's trying to hurt it, it's going to kind of get out of the way. So those things are important. And I see the future, the crystal ball, you might say, of what's going to happen, being driven by the current situation. Here it is, 2020. We're in a pandemic. We're in a large COVID-19 worldwide problem. We've got a pandemic on our hands with uh, people dying, and we've got economic crisis, unemployment's high, and people are changing jobs. You know, instead of going to restaurants, people are doing takeouts. I am finding evidence, as I just mentioned, that Flippy is doing hamburgers. And it's safer to have the robot making a hamburger than to have a human making a hamburger. So I can see that what's going to evolve over the next, let's say, two to five years is going to be, I really see it's going to be coming from the crises that are unfolding around us. The pandemic says we need robots that give us what humans want, whether it's food, whether it's instructions, and in a safe manner. That's why I can see the Japanese robots coming to maybe American classrooms, or we can see other online smart software coming as well. Not sure what the next five or 10 or 15 years will be like, but I do believe these crises that we're involved in, so there's the pandemic crisis, there's the economic crisis, and starting in September of 2020, there's going to be the education crisis. And that goes back to using robots to help you or smart software as students are learning more online. I've been talking to a lot of people who are teachers who teach in a classroom, and they are absolutely frightened by having to teach online, and some smart software can help them deliver the lectures. So I see a lot of this kind of AI system evolving over the next two or three years. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Oliver Hedgepath about artificial intelligence. We are going to take this short break. Today's corporate world requires talented professionals who quickly rise to meet business needs on a global scale. At American Public University, we'll teach you how to meet the needs of domestic or international businesses. Take the next step and apply online at study at apu.com. We are going to continue now speaking with Dr. Hedgepath about artificial intelligence. So Oliver, we were talking about various industries. I know that we're developing vaccines and Moderna is known for using AI for developing vaccines. And there's a lot of data to crunch in the medical area. So I'm sure they're using AI. I'm sure AI is helping them look at x-rays and CAT scans and those kind of things to determine if somebody really has COVID and how to help them. But can you talk about some other industries and what they're using AI for? I mean, you mentioned the autonomous semis and other things. How else do you see AI being used in various industries? An industry that you may not really think about a lot. We see them cooking hamburgers, driving trucks. And developing artificial intelligence can, again, use a lot of energy. You know what energy? Uses a lot of energy. A lot of people are not thinking about this. But all these robots and AI systems that are being developed use energy. And there's a big move right now for those people who develop solar energy versus the energy that comes into your house. A lot of these AI systems may also be tied with solar energy or other things that can create energy. The data scientists are out there looking at how to do this. So it's really getting kind of exciting in that sense. What we have in our home, I see, again, the home front being used a lot with AI. We've got robots that will clean your house. We've got 
systems that would be secure for you. You get an automatic security system around your house that knows that you are the one who is supposed to be here. Your children are supposed to be in the house. And any other voice is not supposed to be in the house can set an alarm. There are systems that can be in a house to detect, you know, like you got smoke detectors that go off. Well, maybe a smoke detector could be tied to another indicator in the house that would identify where something might be going on as a fire and even have it put out. We have sprinkler systems all over buildings. There's evidence that people are looking at smart machines for AI safety, AI being used for safety in homes. It's, it's kind of exciting to see what's happening out there. Almost everything you can think of that a human wants to do is being turned into an AI or machine intelligence. If you look at how machines came about, I remember seeing in early AI magazines and AI books, here's an example. I remember seeing a room with 100 accountants in it, 100 accountants and adding machines. And they were doing all the taxes. They were rec they represented this major company. They did taxes for people and companies, 100 accountants. When the first computers came in from IBM, they had one computer that was in that room later, one desk, one person, the other 100 desks were gone. It was a big, empty warehouse. I see a lot of jobs going away, but I also see jobs as co-workers with AI and robotic systems. I'm not really afraid anymore that robots are going to replace my job as a teacher or as a worker in a manufacturer or a cook. I see what's going to happen is we're just going to be working more so with robots and you just get used to it. A robot's going to be around. I do have robots in my house. I have three robots that clean the floors, for example. And they're the darndest thing in the world, and they stay out of my way, and they know where I'm at, and they back off, and they kind of wait for me. So I see a lot of these things happening. Human life will be changing with robots in the next few years. I see the robots doing repetitive tasks and and smaller tasks, which will allow us to do the more value add. I know I expect that to happen in project management one of these days. AI is a type of technology. You've already mentioned that. It needs to be coded, and it's coded by people. So let's get back to the ethics issue. How does ethics play in AI, and is humanity at risk? I think about the Terminator, for example. I mean, the Terminator who just is going out there killing people. Right, right. <laughs> you know, if you look at that movie, it was AI. It was a robot. Yeah, there was that movie, and there was other movies uh, about how computers take over the world. That is a fear. You know, the ethics of artificial intelligence is uh, per the ethics of technology in general. That robots and other AI have, I guess you could divide it into a moral behavior of humans as the humans design, construct, and use and treat AI, okay, what it's being used for. AI ethics is really concerned about that moral behavior of, and they can call it artificial moral agents, AMAs. We have those out there. Ethics and moral behavior has to be part of it, and I do believe it is part of it. Now, having said that, I have to go one step outside and disagree with myself. We do have drones in the military that have AI software in them. You see them on the news now and then about how a drone overseas somewhere delivered a weapon and killed somebody. They killed a human. Well, we don't want robots to kill us, okay? However, there are going to be weaponized robots. There will be weaponized robots. In my early days in the military, I was working with AI systems that would kill people, yes. But you want to kill the enemy, okay? I come from a 
a DOD. I'm a military type person. And we want them to do that. But we don't want the robot to kill our people. So the robot's got to be able to distinguish between a good and bad person, you might say, or an American versus the enemy have to do that. We had similar type of uh, simple coded numbers machines in the early days of World War II where you could tell what airplane was the enemy and what was the friendly plane so you wouldn't shoot down your buddy. But I do see that there are weaponized robots that will be out there and they will always be out there. If you've got a, a weapon on a battlefield that won't hurt one of our soldiers, that would be what you want. You want to have machines that can strike from a distance. We have jets, for example. They're not robots. They're flown by a human, but they can fire missiles miles away, and the enemy can't see that missile coming. So I'm sorry to say there are such conditions like that. There are robots that can cut beef and pork up, but we hope that robot recognizes that there's an, a human person nearby and doesn't cut them up. There's a lot of those issues that have to be thought of when you develop machines that do things like cut meat or kill people. And again, I'm not going to harp on it, but that is the negative human or moral side. And even then, there may be decisions you want to make as a military officer, whether you want the logic to say to shoot somebody or just to warn somebody. It, it's an ongoing discussion, let's say, in the DOD level and other places. I can imagine. I read a couple of articles. One was on swarm technology for uh, drones, which was fascinating. The drones actually talk to each other and understand how to swarm. And I'm not even going to guess what they're going to try to use it for, but this was done by DARPA. And they had a film of these drones that were in various locations, and they came together and started swarming together like birds do. So to me, it's amazing what we're doing. And yes, we are going to have AI that does different things. So we'll see how that goes in the future. I also saw that the Navy DARPA again is looking at autonomous uh, ships. They're just now testing that. So it'll be interesting how the military actually changes because of AI. So ethics is, is not universal. Those of us that teach know that. Ethics for Eastern cultures is much different than it is for Western cultures, although there are similarities in everything. So let's go back to autonomous vehicles. I read a study, and it was about ethics in Eastern and Western cultures, and they asked people, and it was crowdsourced, so they asked people from various cultures, what would you do, what, what should the machine do that's driving and there's no human in it, and it comes to pedestrians, and it has the choice, and it has to kill somebody. It has the choice of either killing a child or killing an older person. It was interesting, in the Eastern cultures, they would say kill the child. In Western cultures, it said to kill the older person. So there's that dichotomy of ethics. I'm not saying one is right or one is wrong. Killing is, is bad, no matter what it is, but it does happen. So do you foresee AI ethics being different in different cultures, or will there be one ethics uh, in, inside of the AI machine? Well, even if the company that makes these AI robotic systems, it's the same for country, Europe, or an Asian country, or American. I do see what you just said in terms of how one culture views life 
death situations in that situation. It is hard to fathom. I do remember a movie in which a car went off the road and a robot dove into water to save someone. And it could save a young girl or it could save someone who was, you know, smart and needs to be used. You know, do you save the person who's smart, an adult, to actually, you know, go on and help create things for humans to live better or the little child who's just a child? You know, who do you save? Similar situations. I could see that this discussion will be going on forever in terms of robots that are put in a situation like that, like the truck or car that might kill somebody. I can see they'll be trying to save as many lives as possible, but there will be a choice where you have to kill one person or the other. You have to kill one. The older versus the younger one, that's an interesting uh, dilemma that I can see Americans discussing forever. But someone has to make a decision, finally, if the robot car is going to be on the highway and it has to make that decision, the decision will have to be made. Now, again, if we have one culture that says, save the older person, you certainly don't want that logic to be on the other part of the world in another robot, which would be going against your logic. It's just interesting discussions, I'll call it, that would be out there. They will be there. Those hard decisions will be made. But they're no different. That decision is no different than you driving a car. Than you driving, yeah, I'll give you a nice old 1966 Ford Fairlane, okay? Big, heavy car, 3,000 pounds, an antique car. All it has is a motor and brakes, and that's it, and a heavy steering wheel. And if you're driving down the road and you have a choice of killing one person, you know you've got to turn left or right, and you've got to. Otherwise, you die. So you got to decide, I'm going to die or I'm going to stay alive, but I've got to kill that older man walking down the street who's probably in his 80s, or there's that 12-year-old girl walking her dog. You have to make that decision today. It's tough to do, and having to live with that decision is tough. The human has to live with that decision. The robot car is not a human. It doesn't live with it, but the person who owns the car and makes those decisions does have to live with it, and that's just... An interesting dilemma. I'm not saying there's an answer for it. It's just, again, some of the human behaviors that we are putting into those cars. The, the example you gave is a wonderful example. Thank you. Because that's a discussion item for class that would just continue forever. Yeah, it's interesting how ethics will drive AI differently in different cultures. But if you had a crystal ball, and we've talked about job loss, but job creation, how will AI change the internet or industries in 5, 10, 15 years from now? Well, there are many examples. I expect to see more increase in manufacturing. I expect to, I, I would not be surprised that in the future, if there are manufacturing plants developing a car, for example, or meat processing plants, you know, taking hogs and pigs and chickens and and there's not a human in there. There's a manager. You know, she's there walking around or he's there walking around looking looking what's going on, checking the machines. And uh, I can see that manufacturing in the next 5, 10, 15 years won't have humans in them as far as the large manufacturing. There will still be small companies, you know, maybe 50 people or less, who are making some unique product for a smaller audience of people. But I do see humans being replaced. 
Now, that means, oh, they're going to lose their jobs. And I would imagine unions for manufacturing would be very upset at this coming to them and be really against robots or AI systems invading the workplace. When you look at motor companies, uh, the car manufacturers today on television, you see an advertisement and you see robots. You see two people doing something, but then you see all these robot arms all over. That's already happened in the last 50 years. 50 years ago, there'd be humans all over the place. You look at logistics systems, Amazon. You look at warehouses and how they're being managed. You see lots of assembly lines and you see one or two humans moving some boxes, but you see the pallets of boxes moving down aisles by themselves, robots moving down by themselves. If you stand in front of one of those, it will stop. It's not going to hurt you. It will stop. But there are more machines using doing these type of manual labors. I do expect manual labor to be automated more so. That means the jobs that we would have in the future will be working with them in some way, maybe a manager, maybe an overseer to make sure they're doing right, or we may be doing different jobs. I can see teaching changing, as I mentioned in Japan. I can see teaching online. I'm an online professor, and I can see how my teaching online, a lot of what I do could be automated, and the student would know that a robotic or AI system is answering their question or reviewing some aspect of some problem they did, maybe a mathematical formula they had to analyze and provide an answer and get a grade on it. It's a nice grade and a nice statement printed out. So I see teachers and even online world being replaced one day. Well, not replaced, be co-workers. Some might be replaced, but be working with the robots. So that's kind of what I think is going to happen in the future. Be interesting to see. Yes, it will be. And AI is a fascinating area, and I think it's going to change our lives radically. But I think it will be for the better, as you've mentioned. Oliver, thank you very much for joining me today for this episode of Innovations in the Workplace. Thank you for inviting me, and thank you for bringing this topic to a really center of attention today. Because, as I said, these crises that are happening, the pandemic, the economic, and this teaching crisis coming up, All those are helping drive the use of AI and robotic machines more so than in the past. But thank you again, Wanda. I really appreciate being part of this effort today. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. You can learn more about this topic and similar issues in artificial intelligence by reviewing APUS's blogs. Stay well, and we'll talk to you soon. For more information about our university, visit us at study at APU.com. APU, American Public University.